Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Chris Carson to my Rashad Penny. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, I will make no promises that I will not jump over microphone podiums oh, me. this he, season, despite he, what I told my mama. He, he, he did not. Uh, and our very own CJ Procise. That's right. It's Eric Ronovec. Eric, <laughs> how you feeling? As long as you guys can carry me out of here... And drive me home. Oh, Eric, what happened? Wrap me in a cast. Your I'll arm, be great. Your arm just like it's right. broke. That's because uh, CJ Process is a mummy. We just didn't know it. <laughs> he, he, he has, but not a- like a cool movie monster mummy, like an actual mummy that is just a corpse wrapped in cloth. All right, so we're back. Uh, the Seahawks are in the thick of training camp. But first, the first preseason game is on Thursday. We're gonna go over kind of position by position what we're watching on Thursday, what we think about kind of the positions as they stand on the Seahawks. The only stories I think we're not gonna be able to get to from that conversation: uh, Ziggy Ansa and LJ Collier are both now saying they will likely be ready for Week One. Um, Eric, how does that? How much more confident does that make you feel about this kind of the state of the team missing Jaron Reed, the defense, knowing that both of those defensive ends will are are seem on track to play in Week One? Man, every week's a roller coaster. So <laughs> before LJ Collier hurt himself, I was like, you know, I feel. Or I'm sorry. Before Jaron Reed was suspended, I was like, we're going to be a playoff team. Then Jaron Reed got suspended, and LJ Collier hurt himself, and I was cautiously optimistic. And then all the reports I'm kind of reading are like oh, uh, you know, maybe we're not actually going to be a playoff team. This is possible. Now I'm back on the bandwagon. Ten and six. Here we go. Um, no, I, I do feel um, I feel a little better, but I really need to cool it with the Seahawks because I try and be optimistic yet realistic, and I feel like my realistic take is a little less realistic this season. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, do, do you, does that give you a, like a little boost of confidence going into the season, knowing both those guys are going to be there? Yeah, I like how they explained that Collier's, uh, it's not the high ankle sprain you always hear about. It's on which, the top of the foot. Which right? tells me it might not be as nagging. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then Ziggy Ansah apparently looks really good. He just is kind of slow playing it to be healthy, which I'm fine with. I mean, Ziggy Ansah knows how to play football, so I'm not too worried about that. It, the health is the complete concern with him, so it it does make me feel better. It doesn't make me feel super great, though. <laughs> um, NFL news. Uh, the only story I want to talk about is Antonio Brown burned the bottoms of his feet, blisters. People are saying that he might be dealing with foot necrosis now. Frostbite on his he, feet. Because he went into a cryo chamber without proper foot coverage. Uh, Kevin. What do you think he had? Crocs? Kevin, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you to see... <laughs> how they deal with how they're talking about this on hard knocks tonight 10 15 <laughs> it's like this season of hard knocks i is went from the, having no interest really in watching hard knocks to like oh yeah this is gonna happen and now i gotta figure out what's going on and it's the raiders like you you gotta it's gonna be a disaster i'm just so excited it's almost as good last year with the snow cone machine antonio <laughs> i tell you you gotta watch out for it it's a killer uh, the the uh the Mike. the other one like the browns last year the, you know they have some kind of I don't know if you know this but the head coach has some kind of editorial control over it so the story that came out about Hard Knocks last year was that Hugh Jackson put that scene where he gets in an argument with uh, Freddie Kitchens into the show thinking people will be like yeah Freddie Kitchens sucks he's subordinate when everyone was like Hugh Jackson doesn't listen to anyone what an idiot like, <laughs> like they had like the opposite of, of impact that he expected which thus is, summing up everything we knew about it's the Hugh Jackson Hugh era Jackson. coming to a perfect close Hugh no wait Jackson. have you guys have you guys been keeping kind of track about hard knocks this year it's pretty entertaining 
Yeah, uh, Hard with, Knocks is usually good, and it starts tonight. I'm super pumped, Eric. I, I watched some. I watched some clips. There's some some previews. The, yeah, there's some good. Uh, imagine this: some good John Gruden sound clips. There's also a little Luke Wilson tidbit in there. Ooh, uh, I'm just hoping for a healthy serving Seahawks of Mike legend Mike Glennon. Wilson. I'm going to tell you this. I'm just going to spoil the Luke Wilson because it's Seahawk related. Uh, <laughs> it has like uh, Luke Wilson mic'd up and talks about Gruden gave him shit about the size of his calves. <laughs> that basically John Gruden was like, you got to get bigger calves, man. And then naturally they pan down to his calves. Holy shit, Luke Wilson's got tiny calves. Look at my forearms. Maybe, maybe this big. They're tiny. No one's checking out those gams. No gams. All right. Uh, any other stories you want to hit before we dig into dig deep on the Seahawks roster? We've got game? a lot to dig through, so I think we should just hit it. All right, here we go. So we're going to start with quarterback. Uh, so from what we've seen at training camp, so – let me explain a little bit. We keep our ear to the ground here at the Seahawks Nest Podcast. We read the articles. We watch the videos. I've actually been making a real effort to try to watch these stupid Safeway-sponsored training camp streams and uh, keeping up that way. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so so I've been watching a lot. And uh, we were just trying to figure out, you know, who's going to make this team, who's not going to make this team, who's there, you know, providing camp depth camp depth and bodies and who's there really trying to win and a job possibly camp death i mean you never know okay so let's start with quarterback this is the easy one um i i did i did four i do five categories okay so i do 100 percent lock probably yes probably no definite no and then injured reserve practice squad okay so i got russell wilson guys he's a hundred percent to make this team what do you guys think about that <laughs> no i'm just kidding i feel uh, like that's pretty likely so the real battle here is in, uh, is between smith Deep and smith and lynch coverage. okay smith and lynch all uh, other podcasts this is nathan's corner if you get on the nathan if you get on the russell wilson 100 percent on roster corner yeah. nathan's already on that corner yeah 30 35 million dollars wasn't enough of a hint for me i needed to see some throws okay you know if it was jacksonville they'd have given him 36 just to make sure he had that kind of presence speaking of good right. russell wilson though throws though brady henderson tweeted that there was like a sweet play where he slipped one right in between the safeties to uh, Disley for a touchdown in training camp. And, and he said that he's looking like he's ready to make some 35 million throws. And on top of that, Wilson himself has said, physically, I can do it all. The problem is that I have my mind needs more. So he's really focusing on the mental aspect of the game, which I agree is the last step in his progression to get that Drew Brees kind of Tom Brady uh, reading of the field, uh, yeah. diagnosing of the play, not just reading the first two guys and then being like okay panic time let's start running and make some junkyard plays like but really understanding like the the correct progressions and the correct pre-snap reads and he's right that is the that's going to put him from the fifth best quarterback in the league to the first best and so if that's his goal he's he's on the right path um so we got smith and lynch well did you want to talk about the doug baldwin interview here too because that's a good place i mean yeah doug baldwin also he kind of said the same thing doug on went on uh first take with uh I don't Some know, random a bunch people. Of people. I don't know. I don't even know. This who, I did not even hear on about. ESPN, so I'm Molly Karam, and and he's basically said the same thing that the physical tools. He's he's the most physically talented quarterback in the NFL, even though he's short. You know, like the he said that doesn't matter. Of course, Doug would say that because he's also yes. short. Uh, but but uh, but he said the. He still has room to grow. He still has a lot of room to get better, and it's the mental aspect of the game. And we've heard stuff like this from Doug before where he's like, don't bury Daryl Bevel. Daryl Bevel's offense is good. We're not running it to its full potential right now. And I think he he personally would put some of that back on Russ, saying like Russ's mental game was not there yet to be able to run this offense the way it should be run. And, I mean, it still worked because Russell Wilson is so talented, but it's not like he, I think there's potential for more growth, just as Doug said. 
and that comes from the mental aspect. And I would relate it to when a pitcher gets to that point in their career where maybe they lose like half a mile an hour off their fastball and they learn how to like gear up that change up and that curveball to be able to stay at the top of their game. So the opposite of Felix who, Hernandez who they, won't throw the curveball. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's the difference on his wrist between Nathan. the guys who can stay at the top of their game for another decade and the guys who end up kind of moving back and fa- and flaming or fading out. And so Russell Wilson focusing on those mental aspects. While, he's, while he's at him, his physical peak, too. While so. he's still at his peak will allow him to take those steps into those uh, Drew Brees uh, categories. Because we've seen how efficient he is. He's capable of playing a really efficient game of quarterback as a thrower. So leaning into that is going to be a big benefit to his career and as a result, the Seahawks. All right, so let's get to the, the, the meat of this, though. We got two backups battling uh, for a job. I was trying to delay uh, this. So we don't Gino, talk about Gino Smith stuck. and Paxton Lynch. Um, and I'm going to say this right now. Uh, Gino Smith in the training camp I've seen and the things I've read is about a thousand times better than Paxton Lynch. The Seahawks got kind of a free look at Paxton Lynch. His salary is being paid by the Denver Broncos. They just got to see, hey, is this first rounder any good? And the answer is nope. So that's my that's my thoughts on that. The Seahawks are screwed if we go to the backup anyway. I think it's, we're just really reliant on the quarterback, he, it, as told by the amount of dollars he makes. But uh, I don't think that G- uh, Geno Smith is the worst option. You know, he's probably like the fiftieth best quarterback in the NFL. And that's Ugh. whatever. Sure, Lynch is like the one hundred and fiftieth. So that's where I'm at. All right. Any, do you guys have any opposite thoughts on that? Or are you, are we I'm going to go slightly opposite. I think we're giving him benefit. I'm thinking we're giving him the, we love the Seahawks, so our backup must be great numbers. I don't know if Geno Smith is the 50th best. Maybe the 60th best. Either way, as you said, if we go to him, we are screwed. What do you think the difference between the 50th and the 60th best quarterback is? Like, because Peterman is like 200th best, right? So Dude, No, man. Peterman is, Peterman's got the... Peter A-OK from John think, Gruden. Think, I'm sure he's going to be Peterman, great. Legitimately, I think Peterman's a top 75 quarterback. <laughs> Geno Smith, is, Geno Smith is better than Nathan Peterman by uh, a lot. Geno Smith is a, reminds me a lot of Tavares Jackson. Mm-hmm. He can Agreed. run enough to not die. He can throw well enough to be below average. Like He's like a C-minus... If D plus quarterback. Talk to me if after C, this if Thursday. The Seahawks, if let's say Russell Wilson gets hurt for two weeks, okay, and in uh, there, there, it's in the stretch of the schedule where we're playing San Francisco and Arizona, okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect us to go zero and two in those games just because we have Geno Smith. How about that? But with Paxton Lynch entirely on the table. In Paxton Lynch, I think we would go zero and two. Okay. Paxton Lynch sucks. Yeah, I He's think really bad. Yeah, I think that Geno Smith is in the category of quarterback you don't mind being your backup. He sucks. Paxton he's, Lynch let's not, is in let's the category of quarterback that you feel awful as your backup. Let's not oversell it. Like It's not like we have Ryan Fitzpatrick and we're like, oh yeah, this guy can play, like can catch fire for two weeks. That's not happening with, with, uh, with Geno Smith. I mean, his best season, he went 13 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 6.9 yards per attempt. Like, just real... Average real stats. Tavares that's, stats. That's, that's real. Just like replacement. He's Fine. a re- he's replacement level. He's not below replacement level, which is great. That's I mean that's the thing. He's not going to kill you single handedly. Which also means that if he wins the backup job, he's the guy who could maybe stick around for a few years and stabilize the position, which isn't a bad thing to have on a roster like ours. Okay, so we got two quarterbacks. The only way I see us not keeping two quarterbacks is if we like keep Reynolds and say that he's half a quarterback and just keep Wilson and know that like. It, it, it Reynolds is there to break in case of glass. 
kind of thing. But I don't see the Seahawks as the kind of team that has the the cojones to do something. No, like that's that. typically just not how our team runs our roster. I yeah, agree. It's, 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 that's like that's like a real ballsy roster construction move, and I just don't think we'll do it. Uh, okay, Carson and Penny I have as a hundred percent locks. Then I probably yes McKissick and Homer. Probably no Scarborough and Belor. Definite no Procise, and then Choice as a practice squad injured reserve player. Eric, please tell me that this is the season the Seahawks finally don't keep uh, a fullback. Glad you asked me. Uh, you are wrong. No, this is not why? the season. Because no. there are some things, and everyone needs to hear this, because let it be clear that every single person on the Seahawks podcast, as well as uh, executive producer Brett Hancock, does not want to see a fullback on this roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless Mike Allstott, when he was young, rolls through that door. I'd take him then. Jerome Bus Bettis. Sure, yeah. Why, is he call him, why do we call him the bus? Because he's afraid to fly. Max Strong. <clears throat> Max Strong, thank you. Pete Carroll, he loves the fullback. He loves the idea that there's a guy you could use if he can be worked in properly that will help this run game 10 to 12 plays a game. Now, here's the thing. He hasn't found that guy. But it is evident to me that he is in love with this idea. And Pete Carroll's not a perfect coach. His thing is that he's really stubborn about some things. Maybe throwing from the one in a Super Bowl. Maybe it's falling in love with a fullback. I'm telling you right now, he will try so hard to keep this fullback on the roster. Just be prepared. And I'm sorry, Nate. I'm just okay, I'm well, being realistic right, here. I'm just trying to make room for like extra wide receivers because I really think that there's six wide receivers that deserve to make this team or maybe an extra tight end and yeah i think you're right on the uh and so it means that the team will probably keep five wide receivers which is rough yeah Yeah, you're looking at one guy out or a bunch of tight ends on the uh on the ir to start or hollister is not making the team which i don't like either i would love to keep jacob hollister i do agree with you as far as i think carson penny mckissick homer is the most likely combination and if we can keep just those four, I think that's a really strong four to keep. Uh, Travis Homer's been showing out really well in yeah. training camp. The talk's really positive, and he's a guy who was sneaky interesting in the draft. He could be another great late-round steal. Chris Carson's looked really good. Rashad Penny came into uh, camp in much better shape this year, which is such a non-thing, but also a thing. What I find really interesting is the way people keep casting it is, oh, yeah, Penny's going to be like the third down receiving back, right? No. Travis well, Homer's going to be the third down receiving back, right? Rashad Penny had nine catches on 12 targets for 75 yards last year. He was not a receiving back. He will he receive two because, drops. because teams throw on first and second down. He right. will receive some passes. But, they, but yeah, he's not a third down back. That is a total miscast. Yep. And so I want people to just stop making those comments. What it's going to be is... I, I actually feel Healthy like Chris diet Carson of Homer and McKissick on third down probably. I, I, I think. And possibly Carson and possibly Penny because I see that they're functional as receiving backs, which means you can have them in there and it doesn't mean for sure that you're running or throwing. Yeah, you get to hide your hide your play a little bit. So right? I feel like the they'll benefit do they'll of do a little everything. You're yeah. right, probably right. Yeah. And the benefit of having both of them is that I feel like both Carson and Penny are really complete backs, and it's going to be one of those like. This one gets 16 to 20 touches, and this one gets like 10 to 14 touches. And it's probably going to be Carson with the 16 to 20. Okay, Kevin, you had another Nick Ballore point. 
that I think really solidifies the fact that I'm I'm going to have to move him into the probable uh, yes category. Nick what is Moore's it? Nick getting time at linebacker because yeah. he spent like his first four or five seasons in the NFL as a linebacker. Yeah, and two seasons ago, he actually got like a significant amount of playing time, 700 snaps in one season as the middle linebacker for the 49ers. The defense was bad and he was mediocre, but apparently that's going to keep him on the roster. So, so everybody get excited <laughs> for a fifth inside linebacker slash fullback to take a spot from somebody that you really want to be on the team. So then my wide receivers, I, I said, well, 100%, Metcalf, Lockett, Brown, and more. Those guys all seem pretty solid. I could probably put Jennings in that category, too, at this point. He's looked really good in camp. Jennings has played really good. Um, and then that would that's it. That's your wide receivers. If, if the Belor's on the roster, I don't think there's room for Reynolds, Turner, uh, Ursua, and Ferguson, who all have made splashes in camp so far. It's either that or Ed Dixon's going to get cut. And Dixon's going to be on the injured reserve start the season, though, so I'm not even counting him as like someone I have to work against at this point. It's just there's just no room for any more for any more wide receivers than five or six. I guess McKissick could not make the team. They could go no quarterback. They, well, could, also, they could go less defenders, but I don't think they're going to do that either because the advantage that de- this defense is going to need is they're going to need depth. Yep, fresh they're not, bodies. They're not going to win because they have overwhelming talent. They're going to need to rotate guys in to keep them fresh, especially along the defensive line. And quietly, offensive line needs a lot of depth because we have two injury-prone guards. Yeah. To what Kevin said last week, though, right now it looks like our receiving core is Tyler Lockett and a bunch of dudes. That's still the case until it's not the case, which means until maybe week two of the season, we know for, you know, where you can be confident in saying, here's our number two, here's our number three. And I think that's at the very earliest we'll see that. I don't know if you can really get five more, you know, group of dudes to go around Tyler Lockett. I think having those four. Right now, it just probably makes sense. Not saying the fullback makes sense, but the five total receivers probably makes sense. I think something interesting to keep an eye on as you look at the roster construction on this team, and this impacts wide receivers and tight ends, uh, we have a pretty strong feeling that Lockett's going to end up in the slot a lot when we do uh, 11 personnel. Uh, When we do 12 personnel, then our tight end's probably going to be like our slot receiver, which is where Hollister especially gets a big Vinette, boost. I think Vanette is going to do that a lot too. Vanette and, and Disley. Disley did a lot of his work I would expect middle. when there's two tight ends on the field, Disley to be the inline tight end because he's such a powerful blocker. Yes. I mean, they might hide it some and have him do outside work sometimes, but the Disley as a blocker is really appealing, so I expect him in line. They also, he's a plus blocker, They, they yeah. did a 31 personnel play in um in the practice game, and uh, I thought it was awesome because the, the, uh, they threw, which is like something they never did last year. And, you know, that that gives more opportunities for my boy, George Fan to, to get out there and catch some passes. Uh, so, also, George <laughs> Fan, who should be our fullback this year. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, why not? I'm so irritated. Maybe okay, because anyway. he's too tall. To bring the pain Move down on. the middle. He's too big. Uh, yeah, Jennings. Jennings uh, is looked really Reynolds has looked really good, and I really want him to make the team. I'm really – I think that there's a real lot of potential there at him playing slot. I know there's not a lot of uh, clear path to him for playing time, so he's got to kill it on special teams in the preseason games. So that's what I'm watching for. If Reynolds can just crush preseason in terms of special teams, that's his path onto this team. And and then that puts, like, McKissick and maybe fullbacks in danger. And it should be noted McKissick was not taking – was not fielding kick returns, uh, kickoff returns, and that was one of his big kind of niches on the roster. They had Metcalf back there. They had uh, Penny back there, which I think we'd all love to see the Penny C- doing some of that work. The Seahawks love to do this thing where they have guys fill multiple positions so they can say, like, oh, we kept a guy, but he's, you know, 50% a fullback and 50% a linebacker, like Belor. McKissick is the same way. I think they feel like he's partially wide receiver. 
that is dumb, but that's the way the team thinks of it. So then that that's keeps if him on If he's partially the wide receiver, he's not as good of a partial wide receiver as Keenan Reynolds, and that's a problem yeah. from a roster Keenan standpoint. Reynolds is a partial quarterback. They just <laughs> think The about thing it I want to put together on this, though, is Russell Wilson's most common dump-off pass was in the 0-10 to 10 yard over the middle. He had 86 targets there last year. He loves dumping over the middle, which means he leans heavily on his slot receivers and, his, and especially running, his tight ends. Pass catching running backs, his tight ends, working yep. that short, short. And zone. so that's a huge part of the passing game. So tight end. Speaking of tight ends, uh, Vanette and Disley are on the team. They are making the team hundred uh, percent. Hollister is probably a yes at this point, especially because I have Dixon as a IR practice squad guy. I don't think anyone else has a chance to make the team. I mean, Swoops is going to be on the oh, IR. Fan. Uh, fan, I have it listed as a tackle. Well, I think he's fifty percent a tackle, fifty percent. Sure, the team thinks of him that way, and that's probably why they're <laughs> they're going to use that to justify keeping ten offensive linemen instead of nine. I mean that that line of thinking is exactly what they're they're going to do. When really they should be thinking of postage as half guard, half center, and then keeping only nine offensive linemen. And I cut, would tend to agree. and cutting Simmons or the Joey Hunt. There's experience. a because uh, you can always kick a Fetty into into guard too and play have him play guard in the case of injury and put fan and and brown as your tackle so that's why i get i'm a little but i i have i have a strong feeling they're going to keep 10 offensive linemen even though they should keep nine i think you're right uh there's also rumor hollister is going to start the season on ir as well uh he's nursing an injury but he's been practicing so we'll see yeah i think it depends on whether they think they have to hide him or not yeah i just read the the rumor possibility hollister and dixon one of them is going to be on ir and one of them is going to be on the roster and it just depends on like who gets healthy at the right time? It seems more likely that it's Hollister at this point. Uh, okay, offensive linemen. I got tackles. Uh, Brown, Fant, and Fetty, we are all confident they're going to be in. And then it's kind of a battle. So we're going to be watching Jamarco Jones versus Eddie and Kansa in the in the preseason. Uh, Kevin, who do you give the edge right now to? I definitely give the edge to Jamarco Jones. He looked good on the team last year. He has a, a year in the system. And uh, also, Nkansa was getting snaps at guard and tackle. Mm-hmm. which tells me they're more trying to find a place that he can exist on the roster rather than having a good idea of what they want to do with him. Yeah. So I give the inside uh, I give the inside lane to Jones and Fant on this one. All right. And then that, that'll be what we'll see in the, in the preseason. I'm going to be watching those guys pretty close. Same with guard. Guards, obviously, Iupati and Fluker are going to make it. And then it's kind of Simmons versus Roos for the, mm-hmm. for the last guard spot there. We'll um, have to see a big jump from Roos. And also, don't sleep on Demetrius Knox. The team seems pretty high on him, and he's been getting a lot of run with the number twos. Yeah, I think it might be between Knox and Simmons. I don't, unless Roos makes a huge jump, this guy's not making the team. Um, and then, uh, I, oh, and speaking of beefy boy uh, Haynes, I just think he's getting the full-on red shirt rookie IR treatment. It just doesn't, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where they give the guy uh, the 100% like, oh yeah, he's, he's got a nagging he's injury, he just can't seem to quite shake off. Yeah. I could fully see that happening, uh, unless there might be like a break class in case of injury, it's week two of the preseason, and everyone looks like garbage, and so we need to bring this kid in because he can be a functional backup. Okay, and I'm hoping, this last one, I'm hoping to see Posich getting second team center snaps, Brett's obviously the starter, he's 100% in, and he'll be competing with Joey Hunt. And uh, and uh, Marcus Martin for that for that kind of backup center guard role. Um, I re- that's I really want to see po- Postage blossom into this role. This is the I think his future in the NFL and on this team, and I'm really hoping that it, it works out. 
So something that makes me wary is that Posich is getting the snaps at both guard positions when Fluker and Upati have been down, Mm -hmm. which means he's getting treated as the number one backup guard, and I have not seen him get much work at center. So that's something I also will be keeping a very close eye on all preseason. I yeah. want to see him get some center snaps. Whatever Ethan Postich is doing, that's something you got to be watching. Because how they decide to use him is going to be pretty interesting. And it's going to be kind of instructive on how they're going to build out this roster. Because if they don't ever play him at center in the preseason, they're keeping Joey Hunt. They, or Marcus Martin, I guess. They're not, they're not going to enter the season with only one guy who can play center. It's just not it's not very Seahawks. The, I wonder the, if he can't get low enough to play center. You need to you Postage need to, is really tall, but he played center in college. I know he played center in college. He but has in the that NFL, Max Engler issue though. Yeah, he's I mean he is a house. This guy is huge. He's gigantic. I the fact that he hasn't played center well for us and he's having a great camp but is a backup guard kind of makes me wonder if he can play it in the NFL. So the two things that I'm also keeping an eye on here, uh, this is a Fetty's make-or-break year. He didn't get the extension, which means if Fant or Jones outplays him, they could steal his tackle spot this year. And that's something we can keep an eye on in the preseason. So keeping an eye on that, there's a battle for right tackle that's occurring right now, whether or not it's being acknowledged that much. And the second thing is, Fetty, Fay, and Brown are like deadlocks to make the team, yep. and they're all tackles. Fetty's the only one who can play a second position at all. Uh, Brown and Fay are just straight up offensive tackles. And yep. yeah, I mean, Eric made a face when I said. A I Fetty, know, but you a know Fetty, what I, mean. I agree. A Fetty with you. can play, but a Fetty can play guard. It's, yeah, can. Especially in this offense, you can kick him over and with the with the okay. new the new power running style. I think a Fetty would be a lot better at guard than he was under uh, Cut Block McGee. It's all about. Um, who he's got around him, and yeah. with with guard you have you have you have friends on both sides as opposed to being alone on an island. Sometimes. I also feel like Solari just is much better at communicating the expectation for his offensive linemen. There's so many less missed blocking assignments that that or, tells you something. Yeah, guys just running to to an empty space and then doing nothing. So the other thing I want to keep an eye on for the offensive line is. Uh, after peaking in 2016, Britt's declined the last two years, especially as a run blocker. So I'm really interested in seeing. Uh, Britt's also had some nagging injuries to deal with and some really inconsistent and poor play around him on the line. So this should be our most consistent and capable offensive line of the last several years. And I want to see if he can rise to that occasion. So I'm keeping an eye on Britt because we're paying him quite a bit to be below average as a center. And the other one is uh, Yupati had a strong finish to 2018 after having a really bad start. He's been an average guard for the last three years as, and man an average guard sounds great he'll be so as how healthy is he? he'll be <laughs> as good as um as the guy we traded to arizona for him because that's a straight team swap dude it's that's like basically it's swap, like yeah. it's like we traded um jr sweezy jr sweezy yeah, yeah. You, you got me on that one save me thank you yeah, i got uh, you got you uh, so okay let's go to edge players edge players on the roster that i think have a really good shot to make the team uh, there's gonna be 10 or 11 defensive linemen on this team and you got to kind of make a choice when you're thinking about this but uh, Collier, Green, Marsh, and Ansa, those are solid ins. Those guys are there. Um, Mingo and Martin are probably yes. Um, I might even move Martin into the 100% yes. I would move Martin into 100%, and I think Mingo might be moving towards 100%. Yeah, those guys seem 
very, very probable. And then I got to check out how he plays. Quim Griffin, Quim Griffin, I'm putting as an edge player now. He is getting more and more snaps on the edge and says that he is returning to his most comfortable position. Yep. Uh, and I, I uh, think that that is an area where, because of his elite athleticism, he could be super, super helpful to the Seahawks. I'm calling him probably yes at this point. I really like the path to him to get the roster. He's the one that is most sketchy. And then Brandon Jackson is competing with him for that kind of last edge spot. That's it. Those are all the edge guys. And maybe you could say only six of those guys make it instead of seven. That's where you maybe kick kick, kick Quim to the curb. Because a I lot of people I are saying... I didn't hear Ziggy Ansa. I did say Ansa. Is okay. the, and Ansa is ready for week one. That's, yep. That's the, we said that at the beginning. That's, that's still sexy. a thing. Um, so, uh, I want, by the way, I just want to put that out there because people might forget... Ziggy Ansah, by percentages, was one of the most effective pass rushers in football last year. He's been really effective basically any year he's been healthy. Um, now, he hasn't always been able to get sacks off those pressure numbers, but his pressure numbers have always been really good. So people who think that we don't have a like high-level pass rusher are mistaken. We have a high-level pass rusher. It's just a question of health. All right, interior defensive linemen. Now, Collier and Green both will probably play some interior defensive line for us, especially while Jaron Reed is hurt. Uh, so maybe you can count that as half of a guy each for in terms of like filling out the roster. But uh, Ford Woods and Jefferson seem like 100% to make it at this point. And then Jamie Matter's probably going to make it too. Uh, Mona and Tiuli are competing for spots. And then, of course, Jaron Reed is getting is sick, out for six weeks. And Demarcus Christmas getting that red shirt year yep <laughs> he also is getting the uh the, the oh his back is hurt and he can't make it maybe he'll be back next year kind of thing um do you guys anything you're watching for on the on the uh, defensive line as a whole or in the interior um, it seems like to me there's a big gap between the guys who are going to make it and the guys who are not going to make it and i just it just seems like these 11 guys are competing for 10 or 11 spots and I, then when reed comes back one of these guys is going to hit the bricks I agree. I don't really. The worst at the time. I know that. Yeah, Pearl Mitchell. We like to. Oh, sorry. I mean, Ford Woods and Jefferson. I'm actually okay with that. Um, Naz Jones is my other question. I have him out on the on the IDL, but I don't know, really know where to put him on edge or interior defensive line. I think we should put him on interior for the purposes of this conversation, and I especially think, because that's where we lack depth. He's and I just think he's on his way out. Do you guys do you guys see any potential there for him to compete for one of those last roster spots? Well, I was going to say that uh, really what I'm looking for, you talked about guys who aren't going to make it, guys who probably almost definitely will. There's always that that player that looks really good in the preseason and you don't sign him for a reason. I want to see who that guy's going to be, and I want to see if Naz Jones can make this team. And, yeah, we have to put him on the inside because of what he's done. And I don't know, man. I'm still rooting for Naz. I like this guy a lot. I don't know if the work ethic isn't there or just the ability. Like, he can't it's, turn some second gear. It's I, like he doesn't have the, the full-on athleticism to play outside, but he's too tall and he has a hard time getting low enough leverage to play inside yeah like not kind of caught in a no man's land and that's why he fell in the draft was not because he people thought oh this guy it's just that he was kind of in between positions you don't really think um, about interior linemen as being agile but naz jones does not have the agility to play inside which is really strange he needs he needs to be on a 3-4 team i think yes. playing 3-4 defensive end and and providing depth for a team that plays in a different system. I think it's just a bad scheme fit. It's not his fault. He doesn't really fit what we like to do. What I could see end up happening with him is he's the guy that we end up trading. Yeah, get like a seventh uh, rounder for Nas Jones or something. Or something like that. He gets traded like right around the time the first round of cuts go. Um, a couple things I did want to talk about with this. Number one, I think Puna Ford's uh, pass 
rushing is underestimated right now, and that's something I'm really interested in keeping Bre- an eye on. Brett said he's the toughest nose tackle he goes against. That was in an article about that, which uh, good good for Puna. I'm, yeah. I'm, so, I'm so into it. He had a 7% pressure rate last year compared to uh, Ndamukong Sue's 8.5%. Seahawks nest from the start. Yeah, I was, Puna Ford fans. I wanted us to draft Puna Ford in the, like a late as like a late round yep. flyer, and then when we got him in the in the thing, it would have been like if we got little Jordan Humphrey this year. You know, I would have been. This, it was the same amount of excitement. <laughs> Apparently, I just love Texas football. The other thing I want to talk about really quick is Barkevis Mingo. As we talk about where the pass rush is going to come from, dude had eight pressures and two sacks on only seventy one pass rush snaps. Yeah. Um, he if he gets treated like a full edge, which is what the team's saying right now, and that's what the and that's, he could really be a legitimate pass rusher. Like, that's what the Colts did with him, and that's why he was so good with the Colts. And then yep. we bring him in, and we try to turn him back into a linebacker. And so, if you look at any season where he's had significant pass rushing snaps, he's graded out like right around a seventy as a pass rusher, uh, according to PFF, which is a pretty solid number to have. So you're looking at a guy who gets pressure rate like just underneath Justin Houston. Uh, in that like Dante Fowler range. So he's not going to be your every down pass rush guy, but he's going to be a guy who can get significant pressure on the right kind of plays. So I actually feel better about the D-line. Uh, Rasheem Green got faster as the year went on last year. I mean, I'd feel better and if... he has if, so many read and react problems. I feel better if Jaron Reed... I feel way was, better if Jaron Reed was, was here. Was here. Yeah. Because uh, Jaron Reed... Was Jaron Reed instead of Jamie Meter would be like a... Like a well, like a huge upgrade. Well, no one wants to play against a line that has Jaron Reed, Puna Ford, and Ziggy Ansah on it. Yeah, that's that's a good defensive line. That's, that's a, a legitimately very good defensive line. Linebackers. Yep. Five guys are 100% to make it. And then in, the question becomes, do they keep a sixth guy? So Wagner, Wright, Kendricks, Barton, and Burkirvan. That's that's the squad right there. Those are the dudes. They're going to be so good. It's probably the strongest position group on the in, on the entire team other than maybe quarterback with, with Russell Wilson. Um, that's a very, very elite group of linebackers, and I'm and pretty if excited. if any of them are not on the team, I will write a sternly worded letter. Uh, Worley and Calitro are going to fight for, like, end of the roster spots. Like, they're going to try to convince the team they're worth a sixth linebacker, and then Ellerby's on the on the IR, so we don't have to worry about that. So there, there you go. Anything else for that? You guys want to? No, I think you got I that. I think that the linebacker is, like, the easiest one, because those five guys have all looked so good. Yeah. In, uh, I mean, Burke has been hurt, but the Barton, Barton is, like, the... One of the stars of training camp so yeah. far. Everyone and just loves Cody If he Cody can get Barton. his body right, that's going to be great. Yeah. Um, the only thing is it's cool that uh, both Kendricks and Wagner provide plus pass rushers as linebackers, which is another place where we can get some of that pass rush from. Yeah. And then Wagner and Wright, great in coverage. Okay, here, here, comes the, here comes the good stuff. You guys ready? Okay, I have us keeping five cornerbacks. Uh, Griffin, Flowers, and King are 100% in. And I got Shed and Taylor probably – or Shed and Thorpe, sorry – Probably in. Taylor fighting for a roster spot. And then uh, Thomas Davis, Harvey Boykins, and Reed all all looking on kind of on the outside looking in. Um, I counted Amadi as a safety. I don't, at this point, from what I've seen in training camp, the team is giving him some chances at nickel corner, but it does not look like they feel confident in his ability to be the uh, every down nickel corner on day one. That's something he can earn in the next four weeks, right? We have four weeks of preseason and training camp to go. And Thursday is something I'm definitely going to be watching very closely. But right now, it seems like the team feels like King or Taylor are going to need to be on the roster to play and, and to be that starting nickel corner. Taylor's that nickel corner probably, right? Uh, I mean, he seems like he has pole position right now, but he's splitting first team snaps with King. 
So yeah, I also think the team wants to use King a lot on the outside because he's our primary backup outside I, corner. Yeah. I think the team wants King to be like the everything. They're they're playing him at safety. They're playing him at corner. They're playing yeah. him at nickelback. They're like, hey, we're gonna need you to do a little of everything. You're gonna be our Swiss Army knife in this secondary. I actually it's a big see, ask. It's a really big ask of an NFL player to do that. At this point, I, my bold take is I think that Shed doesn't make the roster. And so Taylor for Shed could be a switch that definitely could happen. Shed, I just picked him because he plays outside corner. I think Thorpe might be in trouble, to be honest with you. I know I he's agree. like our special teams easy. wizard, <laughs> and easy is my dude. Honestly, Nathan, I love Nico Thorpe, but Thorpe for Taylor is an easy switch to make if you feel like you really need to give a, a dedicated slot corner a roster spot because King and Amadi are not there yet. I was yeah, going to say that I don't I don't know if Thorpe's going to make the team, and I was waiting for you to rip my head off, Nathan. No, it makes me sad. I just have to be depressed about it. But it's really hard to give a roster spot to a guy that you're not confident can play outside corner or inside corner or any corner at all. And even no matter how good of a special team he is, no, yeah. the, the cool thing is he's going to land on his feet. There's going to be a team with a roster spot open for a special teamer, and they're going to get one hell of a football player. Yeah, I think the, the thing that's going to be interesting to watch is I think Devontae Davids, Davis and Juwan Johnson are two players that the team wants to get onto their practice squad. Yes, I Those agree. Those are two UDFAs that profile really well for the team. Juwan Johnson is not ready. I'm especially excited about. I put him in the in the practice squad for safeties. Um, uh, do you think that they project him more to play corner or safety? He's been getting corner time quite a bit. And he's getting, Yeah, he's been getting both. That's why I'm like, so I, I don't think... know what to think of the team thinks about him. It's yeah, just, I don't know. I, I'd have to see him in a game to really say what my read is. Definitely a guy that to watch in the preseason as where does the team see him in the future? Can he sneak onto the practice squad and maybe be the next uh, Deshaun Shedd or Akeem King, guy that was on our practice squad that becomes kind of a success story? Yeah, and the other thing to watch is does Amadi start getting more snaps in the nickel as the preseason moves along? Because if that's something they're planning, you know for a fact they'll give them a bunch of snaps there. Yeah. Or is it going to be a situation where we try and make a deal for a Justin Coleman at the last well, minute? I think they have that guy on the roster already. They're Justin Coleman. That's, Taylor. Yeah, that's that's Ta- uh, Taylor. They, yeah. I think they feel really good about him. And that that's another reason maybe Amadi's getting more safety time is because they didn't realize what they had there. They they yeah. got they got even more than they expected. That brings us to a really interesting logjam at safety, though. I got I got McDougal, Thompson, Blair, Amadi all the way in. Uh, Hill is probably in, and Luani is probably out, and then Evans, Johnson, and Curry is either practice squad IR not on the outside looking in. So um, a lot of names. Yeah, that's a lot of safeties, and it's hard thing because is, who are you going to cut there? The thing is, all these guys bring positional flexibility. Those five guys that I have as the starters, Luan, that's why I put Luani on the outside. So yeah. Hill and Blair can play in the box. Uh, Amadi can play nickel corner. Uh, I would not be totally averse to Thompson covering wide receivers straight uh, Tedrick, up. Tedrick he has shown the ability to cover a man end zone. He has the he had the highest coverage rating in his senior year, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, and a respectable coverage rating last among year. Among safeties in, in NCAA football. So there's no he can he is a good coverage guy and spe- man coverage especially like I think he has some some real talent there so I wouldn't be surprised to see Thompson another thing that's interesting is the way that Seahawks have gone one high two high three high they've mixed that up a lot in this in this uh, in the training camp stuff I've watched and I don't I have no clue where they're heading there that's something to watch this defense could look totally different than it's looked in the past with Earl it's just like a which would be total great. wild card. Um, the other thing I want to say with Tedrick that's interesting, he only allowed a 50%, 57% completion percentage, which is really, really good, but he had just the one interception and two pass breakups. So the thing that kind of separated him from a higher profile, or higher profile safety is he did the standard plays at a league average level, 
and just wasn't really doing anything exceptional. If he can make a couple more big plays, that's what's going to make him really stand out as a solid starter because he was doing the little things well. There were just a couple games where his tackling got away from him. Okay. Hmm. Um, anything else before we uh, head? Oh, oh, keep, wait, no, no. We have two things we need to do. I wait. do want to talk to Brad real quick. Wait, wait. There's two things I need to do. One, uh, I need to talk about the specialists because this is the third phase of football, and let's be honest, the most important talk about all three phases. Important part of the game. Uh, our specialists are all awesome. Dixon, Brad Myers, Ott, and Ott. Wait one sec though. Ott, it's number sixty-nine. Locked up that big deal, baby. Long snappers forever. Here we go. All right, what do you want to say about Brad? So the thing I wanted to bring up, and we've talked about it really quickly before, but uh, Brad McDougald was injured in week six. Uh, his coverage grades through week six were all really good. Um, he had uh, th- three games where he was just abysmal and several other games where he was very, very bad after that week six injury. Basically, from weeks one to six, he was a league average or better safety. And after week six, he was a below average safety in all but a couple of games. So you're talking about a significant... Uh, difference in play that corresponds to the reports of an injury. So we could be looking at a uh, a Brad Renaissance here. Brad, like the McConaissance, but but so much. Yeah, everyone so in this room tried to tried to come up with a Bradaissance, and yeah. we couldn't do it. Okay, so here we go. Um, before we head on to the uh, the the ads and the movies and all that good stuff, I got one thing I want to talk about. What's one thing you're gonna watch the closest during Thursday's preseason game? I'll start. Just like the one thing that you like want to see, or maybe like the one player you're most excited to watch. Uh, for me, my one thing I am going to be watching is I'm going to be watching how they use these cornerbacks and safeties because if they, that's going to be so many that provides so many clues to how they're going to build out the rest of the roster. I have a spreadsheet that I maintain with my 53, my kind of like a living document. When I hear things, I might move a couple guys around. Like if I read an article that. Where Pete or I see an interview where Pete's just talking up Shalom Luani like crazy, I might switch him into the active roster and switch another guy out. And so I have this document where I'm constantly changing things. But the thing I'm going to be looking at is this secondary could my secondary picks could change dramatically just based on what I see on Thursday because they they're going to show us a lot whether they want to or not. Um, Eric, what do you what what you, what are you watching for? What do you? What's, That's what, what I talked about last week. It's like you said, secondary cornerback and safety. I I said earlier in this podcast like Naz Jones, I'll have an eye on him. But if Naz Jones is having a bad game, I'm ultimately not going to be able to look at him. But I can look at every single safety and every single corner. I really want to see what Shaq Griffin can do. You're hearing a lot of, like, you know, he's really shown up against the pass and he's really showing up against the run. He seems that he is actually taking that that next step. That'll be interesting to see probably in week two or three. But, yeah, I want to see how things are shifted around. I wonder about Umadi if, like, day one they brought him in for nickel. And how we lined up if Pete Carroll was like, whoa, 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 let's uh, let's table this for now. Like <laughs> something like maybe he lined up, it didn't work. Like you couldn't get the kick slide or... Yeah, something like, you know what, this is future for you, but right now we're going to work you out here and we'll, we'll work this in slowly. You know, I, that's that's a reality. But yeah, that's what, that's what I'm looking at. Kevin. Yeah, that's something that Seattle's done on their roster before where they go, we mm-hmm. want you to master this one position, like the David Moore thing. Where it was, we want you to be able to play this outside receiver position. So the George me, Fant, where they were like, only left tackle. Don't even think about right tackle. Don't think about guard. You're a left tackle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm watching the lines, and specifically, 
I'm watching who gets how many snaps where with what unit. So who's getting snaps uh, first team offensive line? You know, where's postage getting snaps? Uh, what's the right tackle rotation look like? Which guys are getting tried out in multiple spots? Which guys are getting the longest look because those are the guys who might be on the cut line? And on the defensive side, how are they utilizing these edge pieces? What type of situations are they using Mingo in, and how does he look against the run, even in the yeah. preseason? Uh, which guys are sliding into that three-tech spot out of the base DNs? So how's everyone lining up? How's everyone being utilized? The shape of the front seven is going to be interesting to me, too, because I like like we've been talking about, I think there might be some surprises there. Maybe they'll save them for week one, but right now I'm, I'm thinking there might be a few surprises there with uh, the way that guys might be not where we expect. Yeah. You know, you might see a lot of like Rasheem Green and Puna Ford and uh, Ziggy Ansah as like the three guys. And then all of a sudden the fourth guy is, is Shaquem Griffin. And it's like, what? But they want that speed on the edge, you know, mm-hmm. that just looks a little different. And it ends up running like a, a 4-3 over where you have an outside linebacker who's playing defensive end functionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the perfect position for our boy, the Mingo, Barkevius Mingo. So Bark, Barky, they call any, him. Anything else before we get to the uh, to the the, they do. the, the, the nonsense? Uh, that's it. Oh, by oh, the way, uh, one more thing from Pete Carroll's press conference. Apparently, when Jarrell Casey was at USC, they called him Tut Tut, and I found that out because he was comparing Puna Ford to Tut Tut. Oh, and he, had to explain that who Tut Tut was. Wait, wait, that's adorable. Pete Carroll, are you saying Pete Carroll compared Jarrell Casey Puna Ford to Jarrell Casey? Casey? Yeah. Wait. Where have we heard that before? Right? Me and me and Pete. Pete, I know you I know you're listening, buddy, and I just want to say I agree. No, I'm just kidding. Pete Carroll does not listen to this shit. Okay. Uh, the we're up to seventy two ratings on iTunes. Thank you to everyone who has taken the time to uh, to do it. Bone Tail Slayer, Joshua, C Lady, all the people that are giving us five star reviews on iTunes. You guys are killing it. Um, and then um, Patreons, Forrest, James, Chuckatilla, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, uh, Bob, Kieran, Brett. Mike, David, Floctimus, Prime, Keith, Frank, Michelle, Brian, and Nick, and everyone else. You guys are really uh, helping us not burn to death in this room. Uh, and then uh, everybody on the high, everybody on the Facebook chat, the Messenger. I have eighty eight today. Yeah, if you're a Patreon and you're not in the Facebook chat, you can find out uh, some stuff before this even happens, like what we're going to be talking about, and then see see the actual uh, like you know spreadsheet and stuff. It's in there. And we'll be uh, talking during the games. And then, things of that yeah, nature. Oh, you can hear how much Brett, how yeah, crazy. You can hear Brett rage. He gets so crazy during the games, dude. It's like I've never. In the third quarter when he has to go for a walk so he doesn't watch. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I need to go. I'm going to go mow the lawn. I can't take this anymore. For anyone in the Patreon now, you're just kind of, you're hearing timid Brett. He pops in once in a while. He says, oh, yeah, this is great. Oh, this is funny. Oh, this isn't very funny at all. Just wait for the first Paxton Lynch interception. Yes. <laughs> yeah, in the it, preseason games, he's going to even be like, what? What is Joey Hunt doing out there? Like, it's it's oh, gonna no. it's gonna be a slow build to the first disaster, minor disaster in week one. Be ready. Love uh, you, Brett. <laughs> oh no, you you uh, you can't just bury a guy and then and then give him give him that and think that makes up for it. Okay, anyway, <laughs> Brett is much like Stephen Jackson. Okay, he's really mad he that he got a dr- one day deal and piss hot. Signed, signed a one day deal and really mad that they drug tested him. <laughs> saying, Obviously, I'm smoking weed. Come on, dude. Um, okay. That's the whole reason I retired. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so true. Um, okay, and I uh, I'm gonna go right to the uh, the movie club. I guess. Yeah, we have, we have like so much time to talk about this movie. So much more than I thought. Um, so here we go. We're gonna talk about so this weekend. Dora the Explorer comes out. 
um, scary stories, the kitchen. We had like so many choices of movies to kind of bounce off of to do a, like a traditional style movie club. And I thought Kevin's been waiting to talk about this movie for uh, three, four years, a, a million years. Yeah. Uh, so scary stories tell in the dark released this week. It's uh, produced by Del Toro and it's got kind of some buzz behind it from that. Uh, it's based on those kids books with those creepy ass drawings in them from when we were kids. And I just want to talk about the, the books for a second. I just remember when I was a kid, this book was in the school library, and it's the one you would, like, show your friends, like, in elementary school, if you wanted to, like, freak them out. I'm yep. pretty sure that's why the librarian stocked it, because, like, the pictures were so creepy, and it was so weird, and the stories were pretty good. Not great. Pretty, just, uh, just know, they're good ser- enough. They're service, serviceable. There were the serviceable hand, stories. Uh, the hook hand killer. Uh, the phone. Po. The phone is uh, phone calls coming from inside the house. They got the Taily Poe, where uh, they're all uh, urban. They're all urban legends. Yeah, it's, and they're they're just classics, just just some bangers of uh, popular culture. Uh, old woman, all skin and bone. That was yep. a good, that was one I remember. And the Wendigo, I remember that one too. Because uh, they're yeah, they're all based on like real things. Um, like these are these oh, are babysitter. In the, yeah, phone, babysitter phone inside the house. Eric already said that one, right? Um, yep. I'm just looking at a list. They did. They actually did three books. So. You know, I never read the second or the third oh, one. I've seen the second one, but I've I never read the first read and second, but didn't even know the third existed. When did uh, it come out? Well, the third one came out in 1991, so seven mm-hmm. years after the second one. Um, it was so, called Scary Stories Three: More Tales to Chill Your Bones. And these are still popular as an elementary school teacher. I can vouch that kids still check them out. Hmm. Uh, they are still read in classrooms. Uh, they are still as popular as ever. And these are great introductory scary tales. Nice little uh, short story collections, anthologies. I mean, they're, they're controversial. Complaints have typically centered on its violence, disturbing subject matter, and potential unsuitably for younger re- readers. Critics have called the stories, many of which feature macabre talk, such as murder, disfigurement, and cannibalism as sick, repulsive, and really disgusting, not appropriate for children. To which I would say, uh, yeah, okay, whatever. They're going to see a hundred worse things every day get with the times bro yeah it's it's not a big deal it's it's they're for like fourth through seventh graders and maybe like a really mature younger kid third grader but they're not for like they're not for first but we're not reading this to freaking kindergartners dude and kindergartners can't read so that's not like they're gonna go read it themselves they're just gonna <laughs> they're just gonna look at the pictures and they're gonna go oh this is creepy and the pictures are creepy I, when we yeah, uh when we get off the podcast can we talk about kids books the new berenstain bears books so, what's our connection to our movie we're talking? Let's, let's, All right, so that yeah, the scary. St- I said scary stories, the tell in the dark. Right. So what's the connection? I already said uh, it's Troll Hunter. Oh, the director of Scary Stories <laughs> directed Troll Hunter. Sorry, I, I guess I did get lost. I'm in trying the, to set you I up. Got lost bro. in the story. Okay, 2010 uh, Norwegian found footage mockumentary Troll Hunter. Um, what's cool about what I think is going to really work for this book. Uh, work for this movie in in terms of scary stories is that troll hunter the coolest thing it does to me is it takes these norwegian folk tales about trolls this kind of weird uh stories and turns them into like a cohesive uh, a horror mockumentary uh comedy thing right and scary stories is gonna have to try to do the same thing take these urban legends and turn them into a cohesive uh story and that's, I think, the challenge of making a movie like that. And I, this is the troll hunter makes me think he's up to task. Kevin, you're the troll hunter expert. You're the, you're the uh, troll hunter. What do you love about troll hunter? So, troll hunter. First of all, it uh, pulls off the fake documentary thing, which is a very underutilized 
uh, style of filming that I think is unique and fun and interesting. And it does all of that while still being a good movie. Uh, found footage, and Eric, you can talk about this a little bit, the yeah. found footage genre, uh, what is your overall opinion of it? Um, honestly, before before Troll Hunter, I felt like it had gone stale, all right? Because the found footage thing, what is the first found footage film Blair Witch? That's oh, that, I mean, mainstream. Mainstream. The mainstream first big one, one yeah. Yeah. And, and viral marketing scheme. Yeah, and I'll just say... I'm OG on never liking that movie. It doesn't make sense. We can talk about that another time. But I felt like Troll Hunter did everything, I don't even want to say right, so well that I didn't even realize it was like found footage or, you know, fake found footage. It yeah. was it was just really awesome. And uh, there's a lot of twists this takes. Um, it's I a very s- meta movie. Yeah, I feel like, like very self-aware. Absolutely. But in a... It takes it not too seriously, but seriously enough that you're invested in the movie. Yeah, it's not making fun of itself. Like, the beginning of the movie, they do a really good job of forcing you to question what you're watching. Um, as these college students track down this kind of sketchy-looking guy who's in basically, like, a trailer. And but and <laughs> that's the premise of the movie, is they're trying to track down this guy who's, like, a self proclaimed troll hunter and it takes a little bit to get there yes yeah hans yeah and it is from the perspective that like they're basically disproving this weird mythological thing and they end up kind of tripping and falling into a into a grand journey and the movie does show don't tell beautifully it justifies the moments of uh expository uh, explanation because it's the troll hunter having to explain to the documentary crew what's going on and it's all in context and very easy to follow two two things from the beginning of the movie that i thought were really good is the one when he's uh, explained to them why they have to like cover themselves in in troll troll stench because yes. yeah. because they trolls can smell humans and he's like do any of you believe in God? Because they could smell Christian's blood. Yes. <laughs> like just he's like they'll, they'll they'll sniff you out immediately. There's so many of those moments in there, and it's like it's cool because like it's them telling you the the lore of the trolls, but doing it in a way that feels authentic and not in a way that's like some you know that oh like an overlay or like a um, like someone just talking narrating over a camera. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's like, uh, and then. At the beginning, when the 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 troll security services guys come, and he's like, "You won't be able to keep your tapes," uh, and then we're going to put fake footprints in here so that nobody knows. And it's like, <laughs> yes. and he's like, and then so it's like that's the tension of the movie. Like this guy wants everyone to know about trolls so he can like be properly compensated for what he's doing, the danger he's putting himself in. Because that's the whole thing is uh, his livelihood that he's committed himself to. Because he's like the grizzled veteran, like uh, you know, uh, Captain Ahab of troll hunting. And the other part that's kind of cool that comes out is that he's more like a troll tender than a troll hunter. Like, he, it's basically he's a park ranger for trolls. Yes. And it's so interesting. And I, I don't want to give away too much more because I think that this is just a journey that you need to take. It's, it's less than two hours long. It is subtitled, but don't let that be a barrier to you. It is a really easy to follow movie, and for not having had like this huge budget or anything, I feel like every penny of its special effects dollars are very well spent. Especially uh, at the end, 
Yes. Uh, the other thing is you can watch this movie on YouTube uh, with ads. So there's no there's no reason not to watch it, and I'm gonna I think let it's you on know Netflix for free. I'm gonna let you know. It's I think they took it off Netflix. Netflix oh. is losing the rights to everything. That's uh, losing film rights, and I'm gonna give you a wink, wink. You can you can skip the ads. You know if you download a certain browser attachment, you know the ad, <laughs> the ads don't show up on the YouTube video anymore. Wink, wink. Ad block. Okay, so the it's pretty good. Uh, it's it's on. Yeah, you can watch it on YouTube right now. You can go watch it. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it now. I'm going to talk about a few more spoilery things. Yep. Okay. And then come uh, back and, tune and come in. back and you can listen. Nice. This is about five more minutes. Um, okay. Though, though, when they get the new camera woman and she's Muslim and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, I don't know how the troll's going to react to that. Yes. <laughs> It's so good. It's such a... <laughs> and he's like... He, and he, it's this moment of genuine confusion on his face. The dude who plays Hans plays it so well. Yeah. Um, or when they get up to the cabin and there's the giant troll chasing after the van. Or after the... after the Like their vehicle. Are you talking about the final act? Yeah, the That's, final act. I felt like that was uh, cool. Uh, somewhat realistic enough looking. And... Um, I don't know. There was some I beauty. I thought it was an appropriate climax to the film. Absolutely, but there was some beauty to the way that was shot. You know, it it really made you feel for every single thing on the screen, including the troll. Oh, when he's explaining how the trolls turn into uh, stone, yeah, it's and the humor is so dry. In it this is movie so too. dry, and it's so funny. It's very apparently like, that's like a very that's, that's very like Nordic that they uh, <laughs> that they that they they have like a dry to have such a dry humor like that. Um, yeah, and it's got like the one like a good like found footage movie ending. I think Eric, where like, you know, the the students were never heard from again, and then the president's talking about how like he like kind of hints that there's trolls, but then they brush it under the rug. Yeah, yeah, it's like an actual clip that they play that you know who knows how they manipulated it. It's funny though if you go to Iceland, which uh, I have not been there, but uh, they still have you know lands that are protected as you know, as fairy land, do not enter. Like, that fairies live here. Elves. Like, yes. it's pr- elves, protected by elves. So, if you're wondering where, like, these, you know, the troll thing comes from in Nordic folklore, like, this is this is a thing over there. And who's to say they're wrong? I think it's pretty cool. I wish we had some protected elf or fairy land or troll land. We call them national parks, Eric. We do. Well, it's protected Sasquatch land. Exactly. So, um, specific... Fairy tale references in this movie. Uh, Boots who ate a match with the troll because the cameraman asks uh, about an eating contest. Three <laughs> billy goats gruff because Hans will attempts to lure a troll with un- from under a bridge with three yes. goats. Yep. Um, Sawyer Mora Castle is a tale about trolls being able to smell a Christian's blood. Uh, there's a painting by Theodore Kittleson that uses the backdrop, the same backdrop they use in the film. And then someone says, do I look like that famous painting in the movie? That's the painting that they're, they're referencing, Sawyer Mora Castle. Uh, so they they really took the time to like learn the lore and use the lore in the movie, and I think that's the thing I appreciate most about about it is that it's just it it's like they took it seriously, but also n- made it fun, and well, it, which is a really hard line to walk. It's such a fine line. The scene where they're doing uh, where he's out talking to the farmers because he's explaining like what happened to the livestock because the trolls had come down and eaten the guy's cows. Uh, or sheep or whatever it was and he has to like appease the locals mm-hmm. while not really giving away what's going on and so like there's the part where he goes over and has the conversation with them before they go down into the trolls lair and have to spend the night in the trolls lair the one time 
Yeah. It's there's there's all these really really well executed moments that it's just one of those the the world building is done to such an extent where it's just completely viable within itself and you feel like oh he's the troll park ranger of course he has to talk to them because you know it's like the wolves wandered out of the park and ate the nearby cattle and you gotta smooth over relations with them and like when he comes around and he's explaining like well this is how you have to deal with this kind of troll <laughs> this kind so yeah and he says oh no he always talks about how like this is this tale's true. This tale's true, but not all the tales are true. It never tells you which ones are the true. Ones. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Okay. The, or I think there's one time where someone like says something, and he looks at him like, "Where'd that come from?" And there's like this long, awkward pause. It's like and he just tor- keeps going it's before you see your first draw. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> the um, okay. So Christopher Columbus's company, 1492 Pictures, bought the right to a remake. It's dead now. It they, it was in production for like four years, and they just they finally let it go in 2016. I want to say why I think that's a really bad idea to remake this film. One, it is like quintessentially Norwegian. So any cha- any any change to an English cast is going to lose some of that charm. The second thing is is like I said before, they walked such a fine line between like comedy, action, and seriousness, and then taking this lore that any tweaks to it are going to lean too far into one of those things probably and make it stupid. So like if it's too, they might go too far in a horror direction, which will make it not awesome just there a completely different feel do them they might try to make it too slapsticky too or they funny yeah or they or they might not dig deep enough into the lore and then and then the trolls are just going to seem corny and so like it's just they they walked such a like a, a tightrope to get to this point and i just don't think remaking a movie like this it's like trying to remake old boy there's just no reason to do it and you're not going to do it as good as the first time because it was just executed if, right if and you, you're trying to match something you I, can't exceed it i get trying to to bring troll hunter to a new audience that makes sense to me i mean not many people saw this movie not enough people it made four million dollars but the 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 challenge is that yeah i'm sure getting it to a new audience is good but you're gonna just bastardize what made it good in the first place and that's that's just tough so I'm glad that the remake is dead, and I hope that it stays dead. I would much rather see them come out with a movie that tries to utilize, like, a, I don't know, like Sasquatch lore or something. And then when they go to do it, they're like, we were really inspired by Troll Hunter. Which, if they had the rights, that would that would be a, something that would make sense. Because just trying to make the same movie, yeah, it's exactly what Nathan said. You're... It, so incredibly likely to fail and there's such a narrow window of succeeding and the movie is so of itself for those of you who've seen uh um what we do in the shadows yeah what we do in shadow uh it'd be like if someone else tried to remake that in five years like that's such a narrow movie that it's just so easy to screw up and so hard to do better. They've done a TV show based on that movie, and I haven't right. watched it. I don't know if it's good or not. So overall, he did a movie in 2016 that I think also not enough people saw. Um, it's like a classic supernatural horror thing. Uh, it's eight, it's a tight 86 minutes. It only made $6 million. Not enough people saw it. It's Autopsy of Jane Doe with Emile Hirsch. and I have Brian, seen that movie. Brian that is a truly unsettling that, movie. That movie is, is super solid. Like that is a good that is a good horror movie. You guys know how I sit around and watch horror movies. If I'm sitting around watching movies, like just ah, oh, I wonder. I've never heard of this. I wonder if it's good. That's when I watched, and I was surprised it had star power in it. Um, that was good. I don't really know what the point of that movie was. That's my only <laughs> knock on it. Like I think he he said he had two goals when he made the movie. One, 
he wanted to like get out of like people asking him to make found footage movies. He wanted people to know I can make a regular movie. Please let me make regular movies. And then <laughs> the second thing was he said that he wanted to make like a classic supernatural horror movie, kind of like uh, the like the Conjuring was trying to do. He's like the Conjuring kind of brought back a genre from the dead, and I wanted to be a part of that. So you that. you guys saw about you both saw the movie. Yeah. Since we're in full spoiler mode. What was the point of that body being in the morgue in the first place? That's my that's my issue with the movie. All the things that happened, like how did she get into the scene of that homicide? Yeah, and why? Well, and also why? Why did everything that happened? I mean, I get, I get, like, oh, this is a dead body. Oh, how did this get? What's going on with this dead body? But then, like, she just reanimates. I, I don't. But that I mean she reanimated before and killed all those people. That's why. Yeah, I think the whole point is like it's it's a uh, um, like a demonically cursed corpse kind of situation. Okay. So yeah. it's basically take, and I mean, your, take your classic killer mummy scenario. Only in this case, it's more like a zombie. And they, okay. I mean, the ending they showed it like she's at another inexplicable crime scene. They pick up the body and then you see her like toe twitching in that after credit scene. So it's like, oh, the curse is not actually complete. No, we're still screwed. Got it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's like. Like that I think it was like both people dying, you know, the father and son, and after, especially when he's like, "No, do this to me," and then I was just like, eh, "Okay." Was well, it the whole thing? Is it supposed to be like the corpse, the corpse of a witch from the Salem witch trials or something yeah. like that? And so, yeah, I think that's the whole thing. Is like it's it's almost like a spirit of vengeance from the you know the Salem witch trials guy, yeah. which you know. I've taken much further leaps to enjoy a horror movie, so I'm okay with that. No, and I liked it. It's just one of those things where I was left like with like, huh, okay, so what was this one? What would have been great is in the ambulance ride if uh, the person would have turned to the other person as they pulled off at the end and said, do you want to see something, something really, really scary? scary? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, no. All right, I'm done. Uh, open your heart and let the sun shine in. That's the that's the song that's like in the yep. in the movie a bunch of times, and it's playing in the ambulance in the after credit scene too. Okay, uh, for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronovic, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks!